Chapter 35 of The Adventures of Roderick Random by Tobias Smollett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Captain Whiffle sends for me. His situation described. His surgeon arrives, prescribes for him, and puts him to bed. A bed is put up for Mr. Simper, contiguous to the stateroom, which, with other parts of the captain's behavior, gives the ship's company a very unfavorable idea of their commander. I am detained in the West Indies by the Admiral and go on board of the lizard sloop of war in quality of surgeon's mate, where I make myself known to the surgeon, who treats me very kindly. I go on shore, sell my ticket, purchase necessaries, and, at my return on board, am surprised at the sight of Crampley, who is appointed lieutenant of the sloop. We sail on a cruise, take a prize in which I arrive at Port Morant under the command of my messmate, with whom I live in great harmony." He was going on with an eulogium upon the captain, when I received a message to clean myself, and go up to the great cabin, and with this command I instantly complied, sweetening myself with rose-water from the medicine-chest. When I entered the room I was ordered to stand by the door, until Captain Whiffle had reconnoitred me at a distance with a spy-glass. He, having consulted one sense in this manner, bade me advance gradually that his nose might have intelligence before it could be much offended. I therefore approached with great caution and success, and he was pleased to say, Ah, this creature is tolerable. I found him lolling on his couch with a languishing air, his head supported by his valet de chambre, who from time to time applied a smelling-bottle to his nose. Forget, said he in a squeaking tone, dost think this wretch, meaning me, will do me no injury? may i venture to submit my arm to him pon my word replied the valet i do think dat there be great occasion for your honour losing a small quantity of blood and the young man of calcachos of de bonne mine well then said his master i think i must venture then addressing himself to me hast thou ever blooded anybody but brutes but i need not ask thee for thou wilt tell me a most damnable lie Brutes, sir, answered I, pulling down his glove in order to feel his pulse. I never meddle with brutes. What the devil art thou about? cried he. Dost thou intend to twist off my hand? Gad's curse! My arm has been numbed up to the very shoulder. Heaven have mercy upon me! Must I perish under the hands of savages? What an unfortunate dog was I to come on board without my own surgeon, Mr. Simper! I craved pardon for having handled him so roughly, and, with the utmost care and tenderness, tied up his arm with a fillet of silk. While I was feeling for the vein, he desired to know how much blood I intended to take from him, and, when I answered, not above twelve ounces, started up with a look full of horror, and bade me be gone, swearing I had a design upon his life. Thurget appeased him with difficulty, and, opening a bureau, took out a pair of scales, in one of which was placed a small cup, and putting them into my hand, told me the captain never lost above an ounce and three drams at one time. While I prepared for this important evacuation, there came into the cabin a young man gaily dressed, of a very delicate complexion, with a kind of languid smile on his face, which seemed to have been rendered habitual by a long course of affectation. The captain no sooner perceived him 
then rising hastily, he flew into his arms, crying, Oh, dear Simpa, I am excessively disordered. I have been betrayed, frighted, murdered by the negligence of my servants, who suffered a beast, a mule, a bear, to surprise me, and stink me into convulsions with the fumes of tobacco. Simper, who by this time, I found, was obliged to act for the clearness of his complexion, assumed an air of softness and sympathy, and lamented with many tender expressions of sorrow the sad accident that had thrown him into that condition. Then, feeling his patient's pulse on the outside of his glove, gave it as his opinion that his disorder was entirely nervous, and that some drops of tincture of castor and liquid laudanum would be of more service to him than bleeding, by bridling the inordinate sallies of his spirits, and composing the fermentation of his bile. I was therefore sent to prepare this prescription, which was administered in a glass of sack posset, after the captain had been put to bed, and orders sent to the officers on the quarter-deck to let nobody walk on that side under which he lay. While the captain enjoyed his repose, the doctor watched over him, and indeed became so necessary that a cabin was made for him contiguous to the state-room, where Whiffle slept, that he might be at hand in case of accidents in the night. Next day, our commander, being happily recovered, gave orders that none of the lieutenants should appear upon deck without a wig, sword, and ruffles, nor any midshipman or other petty officer be seen with a check shirt or dirty linen. He also prohibited any person whatever, except Simper and his own servants, from coming into the great cabin without first sending in to obtain leave. These singular regulations did not prepossess the ship's company in his favour, but, on the contrary, gave scandal an opportunity to be very busy with his character, and accuse him of maintaining a correspondence with his surgeon not fit to be named. In a few weeks, our ship being under sailing orders, I was in hope of revisiting my native country, in a very short time, when the admiral's surgeon came on board, and, sending for Morgan and me to the quarter-deck, gave us to understand there was a great scarcity of surgeons in the West Indies, that he was commanded to detain one mate out of every great ship that was bound for England, and desired us to agree between ourselves, before the next day, at that hour, which of us should stay behind. We were thunderstruck at this proposal, and stared at one another some time without speaking. At length the Welshman broke silence, and offered to remain in the West Indies, provided the Admiral would give him a surgeon's warrant immediately. But he was told there was no want of chief surgeons, and that he must be contented with the station of mate till he should be further provided for in due course. Whereupon Morgan flatly refused to quit the ship for which the commissioners of the navy had appointed him, and the other told him as plainly that if we could not determine the affair by ourselves before tomorrow morning, he must cast lots and abide by his chance. When I recall to my remembrance the miseries I had undergone in England, where I had not one friend to promote my interest, or favour my advancement in the navy, and the same time reflected on the present dearth of surgeons in the West Indies, and the unhealthiness of the climate, which every day almost reduced the number. I could not help thinking my success would be much more certain and expeditious by my staying where I was, than by returning to Europe. I therefore resolved to comply with a good grace, and next day, when we were ordered to throw dice, told Morgan he needed not trouble himself for I would voluntarily submit to the admiral's pleasure. This frank declaration was commended by the gentleman, who assured me it should not fare the worse with me for my resignation. Indeed, he was as good as his word, 
and that very afternoon procured a warrant, appointing me surgeon's mate of the lizard sloop of war, which put me on a footing with every first mate in the service. My ticket being made out, I put my chest and bedding on board a canoe that lay alongside, and having shook hands with my trusty friend the sergeant, and honest Jack Ratlin, who was bound for Greenwich Hospital, I took my leave of Morgan with many tears, after we had exchanged our sleeve buttons as remembrances of each other. Having presented my new warrant to the captain of the lizard, I inquired for the doctor, whom I no sooner saw than I recollected him to be one of those young fellows with whom I had been committed to the roundhouse during our frolic with Jackson, as I have related before. He received me with a good deal of courtesy, and, when I put him in mind of our former acquaintance, expressed great joy at seeing me again, and recommended me to an exceeding good mess, composed of the gunner and master's mate. As there was not one sick person in the ship, I got leave to go ashore next day with the gunner, who recommended me to a Jew that bought my ticket at the rate of forty per cent discount, and, having furnished myself with the necessaries I wanted, returned on board in the evening, and to my surprise found my old antagonist Crampley walking upon deck. Though I did not fear his enmity, I was shocked at his appearance, and communicated my sentiments on that subject to Mr. Tomlins, the surgeon, who told me that Crampley, by dint of some friends about the admiral, had procured a commission, constituting him lieutenant on board the Lizard, and advised me, now he was my superior officer, to behave with some respect towards him, or else he would find a thousand opportunities of using me ill. This advice was a bitter potion to me, whom pride and resentment had rendered utterly incapable of the least submission to, or even of a reconciliation with, the wretch who had, on many occasions, treated me so inhumanly. However, I was resolved to have as little connection as possible with him, and to ingratiate myself as much as I could with the rest of the officers, whose friendship might be a bulwark to defend me from the attempts of his malice. In less than a week we sailed on a cruise, and having weathered the east end of the island, had the good fortune to take a Spanish barco longo with her prize, which was an English ship bound for Bristol that sailed from Jamaica a fortnight before without convoy. All the prisoners who were well we put on shore on the north side of the island. The prizes were manned with Englishmen, and the command of the barco longo given to my friend the master's mate, with orders to carry them into Port Morant, and there to remain until the lizard's cruise should be ended, at which time she would touch at the same place in her way to Port Royal. With him I was sent to attend the wounded Spaniards as well as Englishmen, who amounted to sixteen, and to take care of them on shore in a house that was to be hired as a hospital. This destination gave me a great deal of pleasure, as I should for some time be freed from the arrogance of Crampley, whose inveteracy against me had already broken out on two or three occasions since he was become a lieutenant. My messmate, who very much resembled my uncle, both in figure and disposition, treated me on board of the prize with the utmost civility and confidence, and, among other favours, made me a present of a silver-hilted hanger and a pair of pistols mounted with the same metal, which fell to his share in plundering the enemy. We arrived safely at Morant, and, going on shore, pitched upon an empty storehouse, which we hired for the reception of the wounded, who were brought to it next day, with beds and other necessaries, and four of the ship's company appointed to attend them and obey me. End of chapter 35